I want to take a very pragmatic approach toward Resurrection Day, toward Easter Sunday. And I want to ask the question, what, what does Jesus do for you today? Like, what's he doing for you right now? What is he doing for you tomorrow and the next day? What is his habitual stance towards you as you live your life? And to begin, I want to take you back to the year 1860, to a thing that you probably have heard about but don't know a whole lot about, called the Pony Express. Let's say you lived in the Midwest and you wanted to get a letter to California. How did, how did you do it? Well, you, uh, you wrote your letter on the lightest paper possible. You took it to your local Pony Express office in St. Louis area, and uh, you paid $5. $5. That was the equivalent of $130 today. $5. You thought postage was expensive today. $130 in the, today's equivalent. And this young writer who was hopefully very light, we're talking 125, 115, 125 pounds, would ride as fast as he could to the next station. There were 180 stations along the line of the Pony Express, and they would literally sometimes be handing off sacks of mail to the person who was on the next station. Here's what it looked like on the map from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento. Here's the amazing thing, though. If you sent a letter this way, you could get it there in eight to ten days. Now, think about that. That's, that's like, mind-blowing, given what was happening prior to this around the world. Letters would take months and sometimes years to get places. Here they could do it in eight to ten days. And I will tell you that they regarded this as being enormously high-tech for the time enormously high-tech. We live in a completely different environment. Um, before the age of letters, the life of, of, of what we have now, letters were the lifeblood of relationships. If you wanted to relate to somebody that you were not going to see for five years, you wrote them letters, sometimes daily letters. And those letters sometimes crossed in the mail and you misunderstood each other while you were waiting to, to get their response. How different is that today? Where we have what is called instant interactive communication. Instant interactive communication is the ability to speak with somebody far away in multiple forms, in multiple apps, in multiple venues, and get instant responses back and forth. So for instance, I send a text, it's there in how many seconds? Milliseconds. I send a social media post. Suddenly, hundreds of people know exactly where I am. I've had people at our church say, hey, I saw the picture of your kids in Seattle. I haven't seen that picture yet. Like, what were they doing? People, people knew. Uh, <clears throat> I can speak to friends and family on not. Now, think about these, these things that I'm, I'm talking about here and see how many of these you have on your, on your phone. FaceTime. WhatsApp, Skype, GoToMeeting, JoinMe, Zoho, Signal. More of these things are coming out all of the time. I can email a gift card to my granddaughter, and my granddaughter can go to her mom, my daughter, and say, hey, Papa gave me this. Let's go. Um, I can use my Voxer app for 
group discussions and it acts like a walkie-talkie. We live in an era that's totally different from the Pony Express era. We live in an era of instant, interactive communication. Now let me just tell you that that is precisely the way that Jesus wants you to communicate with him. Instant, interactive communication. He wants you to have that mindset so that you converse with him 24-7, carry on a, a running conversation with the God of the universe. You invite him into your decisions at work. You invite him into the ebb and flow of your family. And I want to show you this morning how this works and what Jesus is doing right now so that it does work. What I want to do is start with, start with the, the disciples and see how Jesus set this up for the disciples. And when you look carefully at Jesus' ministry on the earth, he was training his disciples to live well in his physical presence. He was physically present with them. And Jesus is training his disciples to live in his physical presence. What did that mean? Well, notice what it says in Mark 3, 13 and 14. Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be, here's the key phrase, with him. And that he might send them out to preach. Now, I know I've mentioned this to you before at Grace Community Church, but the with him principle is a vital principle that Jesus initiates here and it continues through the Gospels and, it, and, and on through Acts. And the with him principle suggests that God loves to form instant interactive relationships with those whom he loves. Think, for instance, about God walking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It says he walked with them in the cool of the day. Doesn't that sound kind of cool? The, the cool of the day. God having an instant interactive relationship with Adam and Eve. What about with this guy named Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, where it says Enoch walked with God. Instant interactive communication. What about Abraham and Noah, both of whom were called friends of God? Instant interactive communication. And Jesus is starting his ministry on the same premise. He wants his disciples to be with him, the one who claimed to be the God of the universe. So he chose to be with his disciples. And notice how he did it. I mean, we'll just get really graphic here. I mean, they were with him when he fell asleep. They were with Jesus when his breathing got heavy and he was sleeping through the night. They were with him when he woke up. They were with, with him when he went to the fire to pour a cup of coffee. I don't know that he did that, but I mean, you, you, you get the, the, the point. They, they were with him in the total ebb and flow of life. Like, what, what religious leader ever did anything like that? Anything so, so intimate in a friendship like that? It's, it's pretty amazing. But they're going to watch how Jesus did life. How, how, did, how did disciples know how to treat people with grace? They saw Jesus do it. How did the disciples know how to confront people in the truth? They saw Jesus do it. How did the disciples know how to lay hands on people and pray for healing? They saw Jesus do it. They, they learned to live interactively in the presence, in the physical presence of Jesus Christ. And it did not mean that they had to be perfect, right? Because Peter was not perfect. 
I'm glad that, God, that Jesus chose Peter because I do, I do quirky, awkward things. And Peter did quirky, awkward things. He didn't have to be perfect to live in the interactive presence of Jesus. But he had to be there in that, in that interactive presence. Now, so far, so good. But Jesus is not going to be around for thousands of years physically present. So what Jesus begins to do is to tell them, guys, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And so in Mark 8.31, he says, teaches them that Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Think about the graphic nature of what he said. Suffer, reject, kill. He's telling these guys, I am not going to be around for a whole lot longer. And what he's going to do is tell them, look, look you're going to have to learn to live in my spiritual presence. You've been living in my physical presence. Now you have to learn how to live in my spiritual presence. You know what? It went in one ear and right out the other. So he repeats it in Mark 9, and he repeats it again in Mark 10. They weren't listening. They didn't get it. But Jesus gave clues. He gave a foretaste of this. He raises a little girl in Mark 5. Wonderful scene. He uh, raises a widow's son in Luke 7. He raises Lazarus in John 11. So Jesus is giving people foretastes of, I'm leaving. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm, I'm not going to be physically present, but spiritually present. He's telling them this plainly. He's giving them examples of this. They simply, um, they, don't, they don't pick it up. So think about what happens on resurrection morning. On resurrection morning, Jesus begins a series of resurrection appearances. Now, why is he doing this? He's doing this to train them on how to live in his spiritual presence. He's weaning them off of his physical presence, training them how to live in his spiritual presence. It's kind of, kind of cool to think about about how this took place because Jesus uh, appears periodically over the course of about uh, 40 days. The Bible records 10 times that he appears. Probably he appeared more than that. There's one verse that intimates that he may have appeared more than just 10 times, but he appears 10 times in the Gospels. And if you look at the appearances, they're, they're more at the beginning and less at the end. In other words, more time goes by between resurrection appearances at the end. He's weaning them off depending upon his physical presence and training them how to live in his spiritual presence. So you, you get, a, you get an, an idea about this in the story about the road to Emmaus. Uh, well, let me, let me just go to Matthew 28. Here's a resurrection appearance. And look at what Jesus says at the very last line. He says, behold, I am, what are the, what are the two words? with you. What did Jesus call his disciples to be at the very beginning? With him. What is he saying now? I'm going to be with you. Is he going to be with them physically? Obviously not. He's going to be with them spiritually. The 40 days of resurrection appearances are designed to train them about how to live in the spiritual presence of Jesus. That's where we get to the, to the road to Emmaus story. Two disciples are walking on this road 
to Emmaus, and a traveler shows up. And it's like, where did he come from? <laughs> like, we, we didn't see him along the road. Where, where, where did he come from? And it's the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is walking with them, and he's talking with them, and they're interacting in his physical resurrection presence, physical presence. And then they get to the, to the, to the destination, and they say, come and have a meal with us. He says, no, 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 that's, that's okay. No, come and have a meal with us. So he goes in, and, and they have a meal. And as soon as the bread is broken, he vanishes. What was that? How, how, would, you have, how would you have felt if, wait, we recognize him. It's Jesus, and he, he vanishes. Like, oh, bummer. Like, why couldn't we have had a conversation with him? Well, we, we, we just did. Jesus is training them to live in his spiritual presence. Notice in Luke 24, they say, stay with us. So he went in to stay with them. Even the passage suggests he's trying to train them to live in his spiritual presence. And it's at the breaking of the bread that he vanishes. Now, what, what they probably did after that was, was go, wow. We were in his physical presence. Now, as we interact over this meal, we're in his spiritual presence. See what he's doing? He's training them to live in his spiritual presence. It's the with him principle. He's training them to live in his physical presence first and then his spiritual presence. Now, was Jesus successful in his efforts? Oh, yeah, yeah, he was. Because notice what happens in the early church. The early church met on the Temple Mount. They met in a place called the Portico of Solomon. Portico of Solomon was a pretty, pretty big place, pretty cool place. But it made everybody who were, all the religious leaders, very nervous that this early church was exploding. And so they would periodically confront the, 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 the disciples. And when they arrested him, they saw, Acts 4.13, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been, what? With Jesus. Now, when, when it says that, it's primarily referring to the fact that they, are, they were in the presence of a resurrected being who was pouring out power to them in real time. Jesus was effective at what he, what he did. So here's the, the vision of the Gospels and of Acts. The whole point of discipleship is that you learn to live in a moment-by-moment -moment interactive relationship with Jesus. Jesus taught them how to do that physically. He taught them how to do that spiritually, one-on-one, -on -one, interactive presence. But it's a little bit more than that. Because what Jesus is inviting us into is into the sphere of the Trinity. And I know I talk about this a lot at Grace, but the greatest love relationship in the history of the world and beyond is the love relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the core of reality is that love relationship. There has never been a time where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were not in this most intimately perfect and pure love relationship. It's 
been that way from all eternity. And the God of the universe, through Christ, has called you into that love relationship. And living interactively in the presence of the resurrected Jesus includes more than just living in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. It's living in the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love. And you've been called into the circle of that love. Jesus' agenda for disciples is that they live continuously in an interactive relationship with someone that they cannot see. Let's bring that up to today. So what does that look like today? Well, it's no different today. Jesus is still training us, his disciples, to live. I'm so sorry. So sorry. You guys who are leaders, check that out. We have had some problems with our... With our uh, our, our issues, and we will have somebody come immediately back in if there, if there is a problem. So thank you. Thank you for that. Jesus is still training us to live interactively in his spiritual presence, and I'm doing that right now. Is it, Lord, help us. Please, 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 please help us. Okay. Okay. We just, got the, we just got the green light that everybody is safe, and, and we're, we're good. Okay. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so we look at this, and I want to show six ways that he does this. Six ways that Jesus, from heaven, is doing this right now. Six ways. The first way is that Jesus continually prays for you. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Um, Intercession. Jesus is doing that right now for you. Now, let me give you a picture of intercession. Here's my wife. Here's Cindy. And here's two of the grandkids. Over spring break, my daughter and son-in-law went to England, and Cindy took care of four kids for seven days. And those kids got sick, so she was spat up upon the kids had sniffles, you know, sniffles over their hands. They end up, obviously, up in your mouth. And, you know, it, it, she, she did, she did, she, all that happened. Cindy was representing my daughter through those four kids, her grandkids. And when the kids wanted to do a certain thing, she was representing the values of my daughter to those kids. When the kids needed something in the middle of the night, which they did, Cindy was there to represent the love of our daughter to those kids. The representative ministry of Jesus is a deeply loving representation. So that when it says he intercedes for us, yes, Jesus is praying for us, but Jesus is representing us before the Father. So next time you think about um, your life and, and you think about things are not going well here, where is God? One of the things you have to do by faith is say, okay, Jesus who loves me is representing me before the Father. I've talked to people who have gone through a string of defeats, maybe even a string of failures. And the question that they've asked is, where's God? Where's God? 
And it takes mental discipline to be able to say, I know that Jesus is representing me before the Father. I don't feel him. As I said last week, sometimes the hiddenness of God is a sign of love that moves us to want to want him more. But Jesus is working. What does it say? It says he always lives to make intercession for us. He could have said he lives to make intercession. He could have said he makes intercession. He always lives to make intercession. And the idea is that Jesus is working hard on your behalf so that you will live interactively in his presence as he intercedes for you. Here's the second thing that he does. He ministers his friendship presence toward you. I am the true vine, Jesus says. My father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I will tell you that growing, some of you I know have grown vines. Vinticulture or growing vines is the hardest form of agriculture. It was in the ancient world, the hardest form. And if you were going to be a, a grower of vines, you had a lot of work to do. So what's, what's your work in the process? Do you, have to, do you have to do anything? Well, no, he just says, you're the branch. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is, is, is abide. The branch abides in the vine. If the branch abides in the vine, the branch bears fruit. So what is Jesus doing on your behalf? Is he saying to you, come on, bear fruit? Is he doing that for you? Is he like a coach, you know? Come on, bear fruit. You know, blowing his whistle. You know, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you bearing fruit? No, no. What Jesus says, you abide in me relationally. I'll do the work. I'll do the work. I will empower the fruit bearing. Jesus also does this through the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he would be, wait, there's those two words again. He will be with you. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. There's the with him principle again. It's through abiding in Christ and depending upon the power of the Holy Spirit that we live in inter instant interactive communication with the risen Christ and the God of the universe. Um, Here's the next thing that he does. Next thing he does is that he trains you to bring power down. Now, this is a really cool concept. You guys all know the Lord's Prayer. Many of you could repeat the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can, you can repeat that verbatim. It's probably the, some of you, because of your, your background, that's the first set of verses that you memorize because you repeated it so often. What I want you to notice is that Matthew 6.10 is a prayer to bring power down. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where's God's kingdom? It's all around us. God is omnipresent. God rules all around us. God's kingdom is like the air that we breathe. His supernatural presence is all around us. God's kingdom is like water for fish. It's all around them. God's kingdom is all around us. God's kingdom presence is all around us. God 
rules invisibly in the space around you. That's where God's kingdom presence is. It's here right now. It's present right now. It's also coming. Jesus is coming and returning as the king. But right now in this form of the kingdom, it's, it's invisible and around you and present and pregnant with power. And so Jesus is saying, I, I want you to pray prayers that ask for God's kingdom breakthrough into your life. So how might that go? It might be something like, Father, let your kingdom break through into my situation right now. Father, let your kingdom plan advance my life. Father, let your kingdom presence leap forward into my family. Father, let your kingdom break into my work, into my career. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation for you to learn how to call God's kingdom breakthrough into your life right now in the present. So I had a bit of adventure in this back in November. Um, we were in Seattle, and I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning every morning that we were there. That, why that happened? Ugh, but it, there was a reason for it. And the more I prayed, I would wake up 3 o'clock in the morning, and, and I, would, I would listen to the Bible in my, in my audible, and then I would, I would pray. And, I'm, and about the third morning, um, I heard clear as a bell the in, inaudible, inaudible voice of God. How, how do you hear clear as a bell? The I, don't, I don't know how that works, but anyway, inaudible voice of God. And he said, I want 2017 to be the year of the newcomer at Grace Community Church. I want the 2017 to be the year of the newcomer. Because he said, if, and I, I said, okay, our Lord, I kept praying about this. And then, and then more insight came. It wasn't really audible voice, but more insight came. And the idea was, if, Rod, if you are seeking a culture of transformation at grace, that culture of transformation begins with an atmosphere of hospitality. Going back to the Trinity. The Trinity is the most hospitable being in the universe because the most perfect lover invites his creatures into the circle of his love. And so that was a very clear message from God. So on January the 21st, I uh, met with the staff and we had a kind of a milestone staff meeting and the time since then has been very exciting for us as a staff and for some of you who have been doing some things that we've been starting and doing some things that we have been initiating. Well, I mean, I kind of feel like what God spoke to me was a result of a Matthew 6, 10 prayer, God breaking through into our situation with specific leadership and direction. Here's, here's another example. Jesus is working right now to provide for you. He promises his provision. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a remarkable verse. Again, where's the kingdom of God? It's all around you. It's all around you. So God's kingdom is operative for you at work. Is God doing something in and through your work? Are there people at your work you can pray for? Is there work that could be done 
that will help other people out? Is there work that can be done that will display your character and your integrity? Seek first God's kingdom in what you are doing now through your work. God wants to display his character through the work of your hands, through the work of your mind, through the work of your mouth. As you seek first the kingdom of God, God then pours out provision to you. Now, here's, here's the thing about, about God's, God's provision. Sometimes his provision is, is for your kids. So it's not like a one-size-fits-all thing. Okay, God, I'm seeking first your kingdom. Now I'm expecting a transfer into my bank account, preferably my number one, two, three, four bank account, yeah? The savings component of it, you know? Now that's not how it works. God's provision could happen in any number of ways, but it could, it could be provision for your kids. It could be new friends. It could be stuff that doesn't wear out in your, in your house. It could be fresh opportunity. It could be deepening friendships. It could be any number of things. As you seek first God's kingdom, what he's doing in your world, in your life, he will add provision to you. You know, um, I, I, I think about the fact that all of us here are in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, in the sovereignty of God. I don't know what brought you here, but you're here. Maybe you live in Owasso or Dewey or Nawada, wh- wherever, but you're, but you're here in the sovereignty of God. God has a kingdom plan for you in this place. Every bit is significant as his kingdom plan if you were to be in London, Beijing, Dubai, or Paris. It's his kingdom plan. And as you seek it first, he will make provision for you. We also see Jesus giving us a ministry of place or it's a ministry of eternal love. There's a wonderful picture. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's saying, I'm I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, many rooms. Some of the versions say many mansions. And, you know, in the ancient world, the idea was that um, if you were a, a groom and you'd ask a young woman to marry you or the marriage was arranged, you would go back to your family's house and you would build a second house on that compound. And Jesus is using the language of a groom in John 14. And he's saying, look, I'm, like, a, like a groom, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you so that you will be with me. That's the language of bride and groom in the ancient world. So when Jesus makes the statement in John 14, 1 through 3, what he's doing is he's making a statement about love. He says, I'm I'm loving you, I'm preparing a place for you even right now, even while you're here, maybe you're 37 years old or 27 or 57, doesn't matter, I'm preparing a place for you because I love you. He's pouring out love onto you right now. And so that's what it looked like in the ancient world. Here's what what it looks like today. Just kidding. This is Tom Brady's house. This is Tom Brady's house. Pretty nice digs, huh? And this is what Tom Brady's house looks like in the backyard. Pretty nice place. Now, I will tell you, the point of what Jesus says in John 14, 1 through 3 is not that you're going to have a house like that, okay? 
The point is, in, in the place that you have in heaven, there is going to be love. One of the problems with houses like that is that they're large and spacious and empty. And empty. It's not like, you know, Tom, Tom uh, and his wife have got 20 kids that are filling up all those rooms. It's large, spacious, beautiful, and empty. The point of Jesus' words in John 14 is that I am loving you right now, and I am preparing something for you. I'm preparing a place for you. It's, it's all, it's all about, about love. And here's the final thing Jesus is doing for you right now. He's training you to reign in heaven. He said to them, uh, well done. This is the, this is the parable of the, of the, of the, of the, uh, the pounds in Luke 19. Well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Authority over 10 cities. Here are 10 cities. I'm just going to flip through the 10 cities. How would you feel if you had authority over 10 cities? You know what some of these cities are, don't you? How would you feel if you had authority over 10 cities? You would feel very significant. Jesus, right now, through the work that you do, through the life that you lead, is training you to reign in heaven so that you have authority over cities. You know, when Jesus said this, I'm sure everybody thought about the Decapolis, 10 cities that were in, right there in, Gal in, in Galilee or maybe on the other side of the Jordan River. And if you had authority over all those cities, you were very significant. What Jesus is saying is, I I'm giving you big time significance. Imagine somebody came to you and said, hey, got a deal for you. I'm going to make you a franchise player on the thunder. You say, wait, wait isn't, uh, isn't Westbrook like the franchise player? Yep, I'm going to make you the franchise player. You're going to be every bit as good as, as Westbrook, I promise you. How'd you feel? Okay, let's do it. That'd be pretty cool. Jesus has promised you something far better than that. What he's promised you is that you will have authority in heaven over 10 cities. What that represents is that represents huge authority. And you're going to have it in Jesus' name in his stead. Everything you do right now is training you for reigning in heaven. So let's, let, let's kind of think about what this, what this looks like. Jesus' big agenda for growing disciples as in the first century was live interactively in his physical presence. That was his big agenda. Jesus' big agenda for you in the 21st century is the same. Live interactively in his spiritual presence. And when I think about this, you know, we look at five ways. We look at praying for you. That's Hebrews 7. We look at abiding with you as a friend. That's John chapter 15. We look at showing you how to live in his supernatural power. We, we're talking about providing material things for you, Matthew 6, 33. We're talking about preparing a place for you in heaven, John 14. We're talking about training you to reign with him in heaven. That's Luke chapter 19. He's training you for reigning. Jesus' main desire is that you would live 
in his interactive spiritual presence because he is the risen king and you can live in his presence right now. All right, what, is, what does this mean for you tomorrow? Well, what it means is live in his interactive presence. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, don't, don't make this overly spiritual. The work of the Lord is not what you do for an hour on Sunday morning. It's not what you do for an hour on Wednesday night. It's not what you do here and there uh, for the church or a parachurch organization or a volunteer deal. The work of the Lord was designed to be how you brought your relationship with Jesus into your job. Maybe you own a restaurant. Maybe you own a small business. Maybe you're a, a, a roofing contractor. Maybe you're a nurse. The work of the Lord is you bringing all that you are in Christ into that place and representing Jesus in that place. Does that sometimes seem to be a tough thing? Does it, it ever, is it ever think like, like my labor's in vain? I'm not doing anything. Like what if you waited tables and you think I, I, I have no kingdom purpose whatsoever because all I'm doing is waiting tables. That's not true. That's not true. The work of the Lord is you taking who you are in Jesus Christ and bringing it into what you do from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, what you do in your leisure time on Saturday, what you do on Sunday. It includes all of your life. And sometimes that can seem so meaningless. I'm filling out forms, insurance forms. Like, what kingdom strategy does that have? Don't be discouraged. Be steadfast and immovable. Because if you have a job, you have the capacity to make that job the work of the Lord. As you bring who you are in Christ into that place and manifest his presence inside that place. <clears throat> so, we're talking about then committing to a lifestyle. I would encourage you, lean into God this week. Listen to him. What is he saying to you? You might ask, Lord, speak to me. You might say, speak to me. And you might not hear anything for a day, a week, a month. I don't know, maybe longer. But getting into the habit of listening to God, you will be able to discern his voice and live, his, live in his supernatural presence. What, what might he want you to do next? Ask him. Is there somebody he might want you to encourage? I've told you this before. There are times where I will be someplace, the Lord will bring a member of our church to mind. I will text that person. And many times the person has said, I cannot believe your timing because I, I needed that encouragement right then, right there. I sent a lot of handwritten notes to my family members. And lately what I've, what's happened is I get a, they take a picture of the note that I wrote and then they text me the picture and a note underneath saying, wow, thank you, that really encouraged me. Maybe God is calling you to encourage somebody. Is God calling you to a new way of serving? Is God calling you to a new way of leading? Part of instant interactive communication with the resurrected Christ 
is, dis- is having the, the mindset of asking the question, Lord, what are you saying to me? How are you leading me in my job? How are you leading me in my career? What might you want me to be doing next? That's living in the interactive presence of Christ. Well, I conclude with this. Um, Our family now contains, was about to contain 20 people. I can't fathom that. We have four kids with their spouses, that makes eight. With Cindy and I, that makes 10. With eight grandkids and two on the way, that makes 20. And we have a, uh, we have a, a texting group just called family. And there are times we'll get into a, a texting cycle. And the texting cycle might, might be something like, how are the thunder doing? Oh, great shot. Did you see that? Awesome. West, you know, it's, it's all that. And it'll go on for an hour. Sometimes it, we're talking about what a grandchild did. Sometimes it's communicating a prayer request. Sometimes it's planning an upcoming trip. We can be 2,000 miles away or 5,000 miles away and that there's instant interactive communication amongst the members of our family. Wow, I'm glad I lived today and not in the days of the Pony Express. I'm really glad. I'm glad that when my, my granddaughter calls me on Friday and says, Papa, tell me a story, and I'm sitting in the parking lot someplace, I turn the car off, and I tell her a story. It takes five minutes. She says, tell me another. <laughs> Instant interactive communication. I can build a relationship with her, even though she's really far away. That's a privilege, but you have the ultimate privilege, the privilege of instant interactive communication with a risen Christ who delights, delights in your presence. He delights in your presence. Let's stand for a closing prayer. Father God, we want to say, <coughs> say thank you um, that You raised your son up from the dead. We want to thank you that you seated him at your right hand. We want to thank you that he is at your right hand in power. We want to thank you that he is enormously active on our behalf, praying for us and pouring out his presence upon us and providing for us and loving us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your constant work on our behalf. Lord, it's our desire that we live continuously in that interactive presence. Lord, I want to pray for anybody here this morning who says, you know, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. But I would imagine that there's there's at least one person who says, I just don't feel it. Lord, I want to pray that today that you would pour out the sense of your presence on that person and that that person would be mindful and open to receive the sense of your presence. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a fantastic Easter Easter Sunday.